Hello everybody, and welcome to episode 5 of Exploring Astrophysics with me. Today I am talking with Dr. Sandro Tachella, who is a postdoctoral researcher in Harvard. Dr. Tachella's primary source of research is understanding the formation and evolution of galaxies over time. How did you get into astrophysics? Well, that started when I was um, pretty young. I don't know, I got interested in kind of in primary school age, um, in astronomy in general. Um, I got a small telescope and started kind of looking up the sky, I didn't see much. So I tried to figure out like what's going on. Um, you know, tried to figure out like, oh, what are, you know, what are the constellations? What are the stars? How can I find planets? And yeah, so the interest grew over the years. And, you know, I, I originally come from Switzerland, um, where actually only about 25% of the population is doing a high school degree. And so first I went to middle school. It was not very clear if I can go to high school, if I want to go to high school. But then throughout the middle school years, you know, I, my kind of passion for like science, in particular astronomy grew, and I, I wanted to go to high school so that I can study physics and astronomy. And so then, yeah, this is how it started basically. And I, I then did my undergrad studies in physics because Switzerland is, um, is a country where astronomy is not that common. This is mainly because we, you know, we have no sea, so there's no sailing, there's no sea navigation involved. So this means that Switzerland has not really, you know, has not been historically um, a big place for astronomy. And so I was doing physics and, and then doing astrophysics in my PhD mainly. So you are currently a postdoctoral researcher, right? So what sort of research are you doing in that role currently? Yeah, so I, after my PhD in, in Switzerland at ETH Zurich, I, I got this offer um, to come here to, to Harvard, to the Center for Astrophysics. Um, and so I have this independent fellowship where basically I get paid to do whatever research I want for four years. Um, and so, um, yeah, when I came here, I had a lot of ideas and I started to work on them. Um, this includes um, basically research related to telescopes, such as the, you know, the Hubble Space Telescope and also the James Webb Space Telescope, which will be launched um, towards the end of this year. Um, so I did a lot of, you know, data analysis um, and, and measurement. But at the same time, I have a quite strong interest more on the theoretical side. So I work here at Harvard with a lot of um, people who work more on the numerical simulation side. So they are simulating um, basically things that I'm interested in. So, you know, obser observations can tell you only that much about the physics, right? Because we can, you know, we have to go from simple light measurements, you know, basically to, to physical quantities. And that's not very easy. Um, and so if you want to really understand the physics, you basically need to run um, typically numerical models that can then tell you something of how galaxies evolve and kind of explain what you can see in observations. So is your, is your main current research looking at uh, how galaxies evolve? Yes, exactly. So my, my main research interest is really understanding how basically galaxies evolve through most of cosmic time. And so when you look at, you know, to today's galaxies, right, if you take kind of a larger telescope and you look at galaxies nearby, mm -hmm. you can see actually a large diversity of galaxies, right? Some galaxies are, are spiral galaxies, you know, where you can see still actively um, star formation taking place. You can see galaxies that have basically no new star formation, right? So those are kind of quiescent galaxies, elliptical galaxies typically. And so my research interest is really trying to understand how, you know, how do we get here, right? Because we know that when we started, you know, the universe at the Big Bang and shortly thereafter, when we look at the cosmic microwave background, we can actually see uh, only very small perturbations, right? The universe is very homogeneous. Um, and, and so the question is, how do these 
endo perturbations grow and what kind of physics is important to then uh, basically you know give rise to the universe we see today um, and so um, by looking at objects at galaxies that are very far in the past and we can actually you know far, very far away we can actually look into the past and so we are basically able to to see how galaxies looked in the past and how they look today and I try to figure out, you know, what kind of physical processes are important that govern the, the growth and the assembly of, of galaxies. Mm -hmm. um, in your time researching this, what, what sort of stuff have you found out about it? What, it, what, what have you been able to explain? Yeah, so um, I think one of the key um, insights that we gained is, is really that um, the galaxies that are quite massive around Redshift 2, this means, you know, galaxies roughly 300, three billion years or, you know, in, after the Big Bang or, you know, 10 billion years in the past. So kind of rather young galaxies, those galaxies are actually surprisingly mature already. So they have already uh, formed a lot of solar mass in their cores. Um, so when you look at the central solar mass densities, they're very comparable to local early type galaxies, to, lo you know, to local ellipticals and spheroids. And, and what we found is that those galaxies seem to, are, you know, seem to switch off their star formation from the inside out um, fashion basically. So they start first seizing their star formation, the core, and later on in the outskirts. And this is one of the, you know, the big questions at the moment in astronomy is trying to understand how do galaxies actually seize their star formation. So we see again, you know, uh, these typical star forming galaxies, spiral galaxies, but we also see these quite dead quiescent galaxies. And by looking at the formation of these dead quiescent galaxies early times and trying to figure out how are they suppressing their star formation, um, you know, we, we hopefully are able to learn more about how important, for example, a supermassive black hole is in the core of these galaxies. And so what we found is that these galaxies are, are switching off their star formation uh, from the inside out, for example. So uh, what sort of, do you have any sort of theories that explain these um, star formations that you're researching into? Yes. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, it's a quite difficult question. Um, the leading theory for um, seizing the star formation in galaxies is related to the supermassive black hole that I mentioned before. Um, basically, if you don't have a black hole and, you know, you just basically numerically, um, you know, solve for, for the gas cooling and, and, you know, the star formation, what happens is that the galaxies keep growing and growing and growing and they're supermassive and much more massive than what we observe. So you need somehow to, to stop cooling the gas and then forming stars. And, and so, you know, there is feedback from stars that could maybe do that, right? So you can think of like, you know, supernova explosions, right? That suppress the cooling and heat up the gas, um, as well as other stellar feedback mechanisms. But it seems that that might not be enough. This might be able to regulate um, like kind of dwarf galaxies and small galaxies. But when you come to these very massive galaxies, similar to the, to the galaxies like, a, you know, as the Milky Way on the, or the Andromeda galaxy, if in order to suppress the star formation, those galaxies, you need probably something a bit more energetic. And, the idea is that the supermassive black hole is able um, to heat up the gas basically enough. Um, now, observationally, this is very difficult to prove, right? Because, as, you know, in physics, right, you always want to, you know, basically rule out, you want to disprove something, um, you want to show that it doesn't happen. And so showing that actually black holes are responsible for quenching is, is very difficult. And this is because um, that the time scales that are involved are just much longer than, you know, a human being can live, right? Um, you know, galaxies, the dynamical time scale of a galaxy is, 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 is hundreds of million years, right? And so also the quenching of galaxies takes place over, over, you know, hundreds of million years, maybe over tens of million years. And we can just not see how an individual galaxy evolves, right? We cannot see how the galaxy from stars and then suddenly switches off its star formation. We can see different kinds of galaxies in different evolutionary phases, 
but you're not really sure, you know, which one is the processor and which is the next one that is sending, right? So it, it's very difficult to, to then draw a timeline through the galaxy population, even though we can see galaxies in the past. We, you know, we, we only observe each galaxy once during its lifetime. And basically making a full movie out of that is, 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 is very challenging. And this is something that I got more and more interested in actually recently. And so I'm trying to figure out how I can, you know, see galaxies evolving through time by measuring, for example, detailed star formation histories. So, you know, we can take all the stars in a galaxy and determine their ages. And so we know when they're formed roughly. And, and then by projecting back, you know, in this kind of archaeological type approach, we might be able to say something like of how quickly the galaxy sees the star formation and over which time scale it for most of its stars. Um, and so putting this together with direct observations of the past might be able to help us um, to understand how individual galaxies are evolving through time. Would you say that the um, simulations that you develop, is that, are they primarily for trying to explain these by altering different data to see if it then lines up? Yes, I mean, so I say like, I, I like to look at um, galaxy formation models mainly, be, you know, in order to gain insight into the physics basically. Uh, and not just to improve the physics of the, of the simulation, but trying to understand like, okay, you know, we cannot really analytically solve right galaxy formation. Um, and so we, we need to run sometimes more complicated um, numerical simulations because all these equations are coupled, right? You have gas info, you know, and then it somehow does with the spiral arm or something. And, you know, then stars are forming, those have, you know, feedback on the gas and so on. So it's, it's a very complicated process or, or a very large amount of, of scales basically. And so I'm working on a wide range of different galaxy formation models, actually. And this is in collaboration with, with many people around the world. Some of these simulations include um, what we call zoom-in simulations. So then you're particularly just, you know, zooming in on an individual galaxy. And you're able to, because, you know, the computing power is really focused on this one galaxy, you're able to resolve the internal physics much better. So you are able to resolve, you know, gas cooling in greater detail, the formation of stars and so on. Uh, but you only have one or two galaxies, right? So you, you're very focused, you know, so on the, on the evolution of an individual galaxy. Um, though I also work on kind of large numerical box simulations where you basically have thousands and ten thousands of galaxies and you can not really, you know, study the details of the internal physical processes of a galaxy, but at least you can get an average sense over the whole, over the whole population, basically. Uh, but nevertheless, all these numerical, you know, schemes, they have limitations, as I mentioned before. We only have this amount of computing power. We can only, you know, solve galaxy formation up down to this resolution or for this number of galaxies. And so I also do actually a lot of, um, you know, numeric um, analytical uh, modeling. This means, you know, you, you take simple um, approximations of how a simple dark matter halo grows. And you are trying to, you know, find simple recipes of how to form stars in such dark matter halos. So you can, for example relate uh, the accretion of dark matter to the you know baryon accretion and therefore the star formation in a galaxy and such simple models are very um, fruitful because they can teach you a lot about very simple insights into how galaxy population can evolve um, overall and you can, can teach you something of how important just the dark matter you know framework is in um, driving galaxy evolution basically across cosmic time. Mm -hmm. So um, is, dark, is it the spread of dark matter in the early universe the main reason that caused the way we see the distribution of galaxies now in the universe? We believe that's a very important effect, yes. I mean, the dark matter really um, dictates um, the early formation of the first galaxies uh, because it's only there where basically the first galaxies can form, right? If you need to have some kind of an overdensity, um, 
that then basically you know accretes um, the baryonic you know the gas and 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 then you know stars can form, and so you need really um, the dark matter distribution um, so that you can then form galaxies in the over densities basically. Um, and so the idea is maybe also to learn something more about galaxies or basically about dark matter from galaxy evolution at early cosmic times. And this is, you know, sounds like, oh yeah, it should be trivial, but it's actually very difficult because first of all, these galaxies are very difficult to observe. But second, it's also that because we have this large uncertainty in the baryonic physics. So we say, you know, how do, does gas exactly cool? How do stars form? What kind of feedback um, is taking place in these galaxies? it's actually very difficult then to differentiate or disentangle, you know, physical effects because of, of baryonic physics and effects related to the dark matter. So for example, if you are living in a warm dark matter universe or a cold dark matter universe, it's, it's very difficult to learn about this from just galaxy observations, basically. You're part of these uh, projects that study certain amounts of galaxies. So what do you study them just through telescopes or are there other methods of observation? Yes, I'm mainly working with, with telescopes, working both in the optical, um, so in the optical light as well as the near infrared light. Mm -hmm. um, so I, as I mentioned, I work a lot with Hubble Space Telescope, with the Space, James uh, Webb Space Telescope, um, but also with ground based telescopes, just as the Keck um, Telescope or the Very Large Telescope in Chile. Um, or the MMT, the Multimeter Telescope in Arizona. So it's a wide range of different instruments um, because we want to gain as much information as possible basically for, for these galaxies. And so this includes simple images, okay, where we have basically an integrated photometric constraint and we basically can see how the light in the galaxy is distributed. So we can study the morphology of the galaxy. But then also what I use a lot is spectra uh, because spectra tell you much more about, uh, you know, the composition of the stars um, and, and this tells you about, you know, how, how galaxies might have built up, you know, with the star formation rate at early times, but also the metallicity, for example, can tell you a lot about the formation history of a galaxy. So I, I use a wide range of different telescopes and this basically goes through a large, you know, a wide range of different networks and collaborations. Um, so, in, you know, I'm part of these large collaborations that have, you know, tens to, you know, a hundred, um, basically, um, you know, scientists. Um, and then I work with, with basically just with two, three people, you know, across the floor, um, you know, where we have smaller projects, but it can be as, uh, you know, re rewarding as, as these large programs, basically. Mm -hmm. So the James Webb Telescope is going to be launching this uh, year. Did you have any process in the development of it? And what do you hope launching it might help you um, in your research? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So I think that I mean, the James Webb Telescope is a, is a quite old telescope uh, when it comes to development. It has been suggested and developed over, over many years, actually. I mean, even before I was born, I think. And so, um, I mean, the key thing is that, um, that, I mean, I'm part of the NIRCAM GTO team, which is basically the team that really, uh, you know, works and also started, you know, developed the NIRCAM infrared um, and the NIRCAM, um, you know, image, I imager, basically. So this is like, you know, similar to like a CCD camera, basically. Um, and this is basically the main uh, imaging, uh, you know, instrument on the telescope. And so I joined this team um, three years ago. And since then I've been heavily working on understanding the, the characteristics uh, of the detector, but also understanding of how we can, you know, mock up possible observations that we get in a few years. Um, and then trying to, under, you know, analyze these observations, basically. So a lot of mock observations and trying to figure out how the data will look like so that we can basically process and analyze this data you know, as, as good as possible. 
And so this was my main contribution in the last um, two, three years. There's a lot of mock observation and, and data reduction, data analysis, uh, you know, routines. Um, and so, you know, in the in next year, I mean, this year it will be launched. Uh, and then, you know, next year we will get the first data. And it, it really will re revolutionize a large part of the Galaxy Evolutionary, you know, com community because it will really give us um, rest frame um, optical um, images as well as spectra of, of high redshift galaxies. So until now, we basically only saw the UV part of these galaxies. And now we'll be able to, to you know, find that these galaxies and measure properties of these galaxies in the rest frame optical. And now you say like, well, well who, who cares? But the important, the rest frame optical has a lot of important emission lines and other like photometric properties um, that basically um, allows us to measure physical quantities of these galaxies much better. So for example, we'll be able to measure the stellar masses of these galaxies, the star formation rates, and other physical properties in much greater detail. And so this will really help us to understand how these first galaxies are forming in the universe, basically. So we will learn about like, you know, when do when does the dark ages? So, you know, um, after the after you know the Big Bang, we had a cosmic microwave background, and then it was quite dark until the first galaxies and first stars formed. And so with the James Webb Space Telescope, we are hoping to probe this epoch where the first galaxies are, are forming. And and so this is something that I'm, of course, very interested in, in you know, analyzing, understanding of like, what are, are the first galaxies? What are the physical properties? How, you know, how, how does star formation take place in these galaxies? We believe it, it will be quite different. So these galaxies seem to be very gas rich. Um, there will be a lot of fluctuations in the star formation rate. So that it will be very bursty. You know, today the Milky Way has a rather continuous star formation, right? And so, you know, trying to understand how star formation is regulated in, in these first galaxies is something that I'm very interested in. Apart from star formation, what, are, what can the other physical properties of galaxies tell you about their formation? So I think the star formation is, is, uh, is very crucial uh, in the sense of, you know, how, you know, how much gas and then how, how many stars do you form out of that in some sense with star formation efficiency. But as I mentioned before, um, something that is very important in particular also for understanding how galaxies evolve is actually so, so what you call summarizing like feedback processes. So basically how stars are acting as you imagine, you, you know, you even observe in like the Orion cloud or something, right? You, you see um, a lot of molecular gas, but when you look in, into the details, you see these massive young stars and they are actually with the radiation pressure pushing out some of the gas, right? And then some other stars that are even more massive might have already exploded as supernova and also push out the gas. So there is a lot of, interaction of how, you know, basically how stars interact with, with the surrounding gas. And this is something that, that we will be able to learn about also with the Chinese telescope. You know, how, how do these stars look like? What kind of stars are in such galaxies? Because we, we still don't know very well how many, bin, you know, binaries there are uh, and so on in, in such galaxies, for example. What's, um, yeah, what are the physical properties of the, of the stars and how are they interacting with the gas? And then another big question is related to, to black holes. Um, so we see today that most galaxies have a very massive black hole in their core. Um, and we don't fully understand how those you know, black holes actually form. And hopefully with the James Webb Space Telescope, we'll be able to learn more of, of like how these um, you know, black holes accrete matter. Are they, for example, all accreting at, at high rates or, or not? Um, how, you know, how can we form such massive black holes basically in, at early cosmic times? So it's another interesting question. In 2017, we had LIGO detecting gravitational waves. Is that is gra do gravitational waves help you in any way? I think it's a very um, this is basically giving us a, a a full new dimension of how we can look at the at the galaxy population at at black holes in particular. I think 
And so I, I indeed think that's um, a, a very important stepping stone in the future um, because we are currently, you know, in the optical and, you know, basically in, in just, you know, by, you know, basically limited to see what we see with the stars, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very difficult to measure stuff about the black hole, like even the mass, right? You need to have some kind of a mass tracer in the orbits and stuff. And so um, we only know that much about black holes and it's very limited and, you know, focused on at, at today's universe, basically. And so I think with, with, with LIGO and, and, and future, you know, with LISA and so on, I think we will learn about black holes also at, at earlier cosmic times more. And so understanding this whole coevolution of black holes and galaxies, I think is something very important because as I mentioned before, it, it probably relates or is part of the, of the, of the you know, of the puzzle of, of why galaxies are, are actually seizing their star formation. So I think there is a lot of potential. Now, um, again, I think we only have like a few measurements till now. And from people like me who work more on like the galaxy population side, I think we, you know, it doesn't yet help us to say like, oh yeah, you know, we, we, we saw this inside. But understanding the black hole population of these kind of, let's say, lower mass black holes, I think is important because it will tell us more about how, you know, simple small black holes are forming basically and, and maybe also shows us how basically what kind of a seed mass distribution of black holes do you have and how is this maybe you know maybe related to, to early galaxy evolution as well. Uh, so you also teach so what, do you, what does your teaching involve? Um, I mean I, I, I taught a lot of, during my, my graduate schools at, at ETH Zurich um, in the sense of like an, an active classroom. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays I, I mainly do research and my main teaching in sense of is like advising mentoring of, of students. This includes, um, you know, bachelor students, um, even high school students, um, as well as graduate students, basically. So I, I work a lot with, with students and yeah, it's, 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 it's a really fun thing in the sense of like, you know, exploring with, with somebody else together, basically the universe and, and trying to, to figure out like what are good projects, right? You wanna always make sure that they can be done within a certain amount of time. And I, I work a lot on, on uh, more on the, on the theoretical side, because I feel those are a bit better in time managing. You can kind of understand, okay, these are the steps you need to do. Um, whereas with observational projects, it's sometimes a bit more difficult because you usually come to a limit. It's like, hey, what is, what is this data really telling us? Or is, what is there in the data? And you have to have a bit more of a, of a long-term plan, I think, yeah. Great, thank you for um, talking to me for, these, for this uh, episode. Thank you so much. I learned a lot about structure of the uh, galaxies and I hope something maybe with the James Webb telescope we can we can gain some insight into some fundamental insight into the structure of galaxies yeah thank you well thank you for talking with me it was uh, much fun yeah thank you